And let's open up in a word of prayer as we get right into worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and as always, for the opportunity to worship you together, God. We pray your blessing and anointing over this gathering, over this fellowship, over the time of fellowship we have this afternoon, God. Just your blessing over the word and over the worship, and we pray that you be blessed, God, as we offer up our hearts to you, God, as a sacrifice of praise. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you for the victory that we know is ahead. We give you all praise and honor that is due to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for your love, Lord. We appreciate you, Lord. We appreciate your love for us. Okay, 
believe Audrey said, the Lord didn't give us a spirit of timidity. We don't worship a timid God, so there's no need to worship timidly. He's majestic, he's mighty, and he's worthy of any and every praise that we can offer to him. And in that kind of majesty, in that kind of glory, in that kind of kingship, there's, there's, there's never too much pomp, there's never too much... Uh, glorification. There's never too many cries of, you are holy, holy, holy. You are great and worthy to be praised. We worship you today, Jesus, because you are our King, and you are majestic, and you are holy, and you are all of these things, glorious and mighty, conquering and victorious. You are our King. You are our Savior. And we honor you today, not in timidity, not in quietness, but with the majesty and the glory and the the shouts of holy, holy, holy that you deserve, mighty God. We give you praise today and honor today because, God, you've earned it. Because, mighty Jesus, you've done it. You've done all that needs to be done. The sacrifice is complete. The price has been paid. And glory and victory await. You have redeemed us. You have redeemed your church. And we honor you today, your bride. We honor you today, mighty Jesus. We honor you. We give you praise and honor as we look forward to being wed. We look forward to being joined, God. We look forward to being joined, Heavenly Father. Jesus, we are your bride. Prepare us in every way. Make us ready. Make us ready. We glorify your name today. We look forward to the day. We look forward to the day, Lord Jesus, when we're joined. But you are mighty. You are mighty. You are a king. You are a high priest and you are a savior. We thank you today. We honor you today. You are not timid. In your ferocious mercy and grace and even wrath. We will not be timid in worshiping you today. We will not be timid in honoring you today, but give you glory and honor and praise because you are majestic. You are the majestic king. If David was a type, you are the real thing. If David was a forerunner of the majesty of a king, you are all of the splendor and glory of the real thing. And we give you praise.
Let it break through the masks. Let it break through the deception and the fog of lies. Your truth, your majesty, your saving grace, salvation at hand. Oh, there are so many lost, Lord.
24 elders around the throne and how the Lord was delegating authority and giving his crown to them and they were quickly casting it back off and bringing it to him and how that that crown is a symbol of authority how he's given us his authority but we're giving him authority over our lives and we are letting him rule through us so that is my my just plea to this to the body of Christ that we quickly cast our crowns back to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because he has given us all authority, but it's in humility that we reign. It's in obedience and submission to his authority that we will reign in this world. doubts, you can let them go. Ignore the chaos. Ignore the darkness. And focus on him. He still holds us. He still has us. Thank the Lord. All that majesty and we are under the king's protection. But this time is a test of faith for those who love the Lord and love this country. It's clearly a test of faith. It's a trial by fire. But he has some expectations of us. And he's spoken to us and given us encouragement and given us confidence again and again in his word and in, in speaking to us that, um, that he sees what's going on. He knows what's going on. And we've got to trust in him. We've got to. Every day is a new test, it seems. But he said it again and again. Ignore the noise. Focus on ongoing. Let's not let's not skip ahead. Well, what what does the word say? How does God communicate happenings? He communicates through signs and wonders in the heavens. He seems to enjoy doing cool things in the sky. Um, so um, we're going to look to that absolutely, and we're not going to skip ahead. Again, I'm absolutely stunned at the orchestration of the Holy Spirit. I could, I could skip everything I have in my message and go to the very last line, 
and it would just, you would have heard everything I'm going to say just about. Unbelievable. But what a confirmation it is for me to hear that, that the Lord has everything in his control. Before I get started in the word, I want to just say thank you for the wonderful gift that the church gave me last week. And many have given me personal gifts, and I just, I can't thank you enough. I just really appreciate your love and support, and I just want you to know I really do love you and appreciate each one of you. And aren't you glad that God still speaks to hearts, individual hearts, about his plan and about following him in this important step. I'm so thankful. We're having problems with that. I'm sure you all heard it cutting in and out. Well, today I want to talk about some things that make the birth of Jesus so miraculous. And I am no scholar on any of this by any stretch, but I think we might be able to learn a few things that might excite us about the birth of Christ. And I'm calling this, There Shall Come a Star out of Jacob from Numbers 24, 17. I'm going to skip around for a few minutes and then we'll land and I'll let you know when we, when we get there. There are many Old Testament accounts scattered from Genesis through the end of the prophets that describe in explicit detail about the birth of Jesus. I'm going to mention just a few. In Genesis 22, in the story of creation, we're told that through Abraham's offspring, the whole world, all nations on earth, will be blessed. It was an all-inclusive plan from the very beginning. And Numbers 24:17. Now, this is an unusual setting for such a remarkable uh, prophecy and prediction of the birth of Christ. This is where Balaam, just before Balaam hits his donkey three times and the donkey talks to him, and he's telling Balak, the king of Moab, who, which is the enemy of Israel, he's telling him this prophecy about the Messiah. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. In other words, it's for a future time. A star will appear out of Jacob, and a scepter will arise out of Israel. Even the star that led the wise men to Jesus was prophesied in Numbers. Isaiah 11 and 1, Isaiah prophesied about the restoration of Israel and whose lineage Christ would come from. He says a shoot will come up out of the line of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Micah 5 and 2, some of these I'm shortening for the space of time and just relevance here. Micah 5 and 2 tells us where Jesus will be born. For you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the nations of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over all Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 
His origin has always been. Isaiah 7 and 14, God gave a sign to look for and foretold his name. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, what a sign, and will give, a birth to a, give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Psalm 92, excuse me, Psalm 72, 9 through 10, the psalmist tells us about the expanse of his kingdom. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust of the ground. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. And may the kings, all the kings, bow down to him and all nations serve him. Jeremiah 31.15 tells us, that Herod will try to kill him and have no mercy in destroying babies under two years old in order to preserve his own greed and his reign. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, which is, Israel, which is Rachel weeping, the mothers of Israel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And finally, in the book of Hosea, 11 and 1, tells us that God would preserve his son's life by giving his father Joseph a dream to flee to Egypt. And it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. Some of these accounts are so clear and specific that it's hard to understand how a people who was looking for the Messiah could miss him so terribly, but they did. It seems reasonable to me that every mother in Israel who was going to have a baby would think, is it my child? Am I the one that's carrying the Messiah? But they were looking for the wrong kind of king. They were looking for a majestic king already seated on a throne that would give them hope and give them deliverance from sin. And thereby they missed his coming. And now we're going to go to Luke 2. In Luke's familiar account of the birth of Jesus, the shepherds, were tending their flocks in the fields at night. And the commentary says that there is no way that Jesus could have been born in December for the very fact that shepherds did not leave their flocks out past October, even, even sometimes the end of September, because the rains would start and they didn't want the sheep out in the pastures in the rain, so they would bring them in to the shelter before then. But regardless, we celebrate uh, Christmas in December, but I thought that was an interesting fact. And when the angel appeared to them, and this is when the angel appeared to them, and in verse eight and nine it says, and there were in the same countries shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very afraid. But the angel said, fear not, I'm bringing you good news. In Matthew's account, we see another version of light. Here the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. And now in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. In this passage, the glory of the Lord, the great light in the sky, was described as his star. The commentary says that the magi, these magi were godly men, not necessarily kings, and definitely not Jewish. And they even don't think that there were three of them. And they came with a huge entourage each because of their status. And if you recall in the book of Daniel, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar had made Daniel the governor over all of the wise men in the kingdom. And this included the magi of that time. And I'm not saying these were the very same men, of course, because the time was different, but of the same sect. And according to the commentary, these were not the soothsayers and fortune tellers that were uh, that abounded in that particularly time, particular time, but they were godly men. So why were they looking for a Jewish king? They weren't Jews, they were Gentiles from another country. And how did they know what the star meant? How did they know that star meant the king was being born? Some say it was Jupiter, the king of planets. Others claim that it was the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, forming the sign of the fish, which was used as a symbol for Christianity in the early church. And still others claim it was a meteor. But what we do know is this, that it was the glory of God. It was the same glory that shone around the shepherds it was the same glory, the Shekinah glory of God that God used to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. You remember the pillar of cloud by the day and the fire by the night, his glory. And the same glory that the people saw on Moses' face after he had been on the mountain face to face with God and that glory reflected off of him and his garments and the glory that shone around Saul of Tarsus and knocked him off of his animal and blinded him for three days and the same glory hmm, that filled the temple so that the ministers couldn't stand to minister to the people, the glory of God. The Bible doesn't specifically say that the star led the Magi from the east to Jerusalem, only that they had seen it in the east and recognized it there, and they set out on their journey. 
And upon arrival to Jerusalem, they had to ask, where was Jesus born? Take us to him. And no one knew, knew, but God had opened the eyes of the Magi to see his glory and follow to the place where Jesus was. And the Bible says in verse 9, when they had heard the king's plot to find the child and kill him, they departed and lo, the star, which they had, now they're in Jerusalem, they'd asked where he is, and no one knew. And now they say, but when, <laughs> when, when they um, had heard Herod's plot to kill him, they saw the star again. God arranged it so that they saw the star from Jerusalem to lead them to Bethlehem, where Jesus lived at that time with his family. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The star confirmed. It stood still so that there was no question about which house they should go into. It confirmed that their journey was over. They had reached their destination and it gave them assurance that their journey had not been in vain for they had found him, the savior and the redeemer of all men. And verse 11, when they came into the house where Mary and the young child were, they fell down and worshiped him and they presented their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod because of the evil plot to kill the babies in order to be sure that they killed Jesus. So they departed a different way. God had it all worked out. And God's plan included using his glory to lead those who were seeking him directly to Christ. It included thwarting evil men and their plots to kill him. It included leading foreigners, not even Jews, to find him. It included giving him gifts, gold fit for a king, frankincense, a symbol of his deity, and myrrh, an embalming oil symbolizing his suffering and death to come. It was no coincidence that the Magi had seen Christ and that the aged priest Simeon if you remember back to the Luke uh, 2 story, Simeon was the priest in the, in the temple and he prof was prophesied too that he would see the Christ child before he was to die. And he saw him in the temple just before he was circumcised. And Anna also, the prophetess who worked in the temple, she was a widow from a very young age, the Bible says. She too saw him in the temple in her elder years, his star, his glory. I read that the stars appear to travel in the sky only east to west, but this star, the Bethlehem star of Christ, traveled north to south because Jerusalem is here and Bethlehem is directly underneath Jerusalem, six miles. So this star, this glory of God, traveled in opposite direction of what stars 
typically travel. Now, I want to share something that I know absolutely nothing about except what I've heard this morning and what I've read. But I feel like God has given us an incredible opportunity at this very moment in time as a sign and a gift from him. Now you may think I've gone completely mad and maybe I have, <laughs> but here it goes. First of all, God gave me this subject matter about the star several weeks ago. And I said, Lord, I don't know anything about stars and lights in the sky and, you know, not even the Bethlehem star. I didn't really know too much about it. And how does it relate to us today anyway? And these were questions I was asking the Lord. And then this happened to come out, and I want to share it with you. This article is excerpted from the Scientific American Space Journal. On December 21st, 2020, which is tomorrow. On the Northern Hemisphere's winter solstice, at approximately 45 minutes after sunset, there will be a great conjunction in the night sky of Jupiter and Saturn, during which they will appear closer to the Earth than they have been in over 800 years. The last recorded time it was this close was 1226. So the last non-visible great conjunction occurred in May of 2000. The apparent distance between Jupiter and Saturn at that time was 68.9 arc minutes. Does anybody know what an arc minute is? I don't, <laughs> but it won't matter or more than twice the diameter of the full moon. In contrast, the 2020 Great Conjunction, tomorrow, these gas giants will appear separated by a mere 6.1 arc minutes. That's roughly the thickness of a dime when held at arm's length. You can see the upcoming Great Conjunction in detail with binoculars and telescopes, but the best part about this one is that you will be able to watch it with your naked eye. You can find a spot where you can watch the sunset and a clear horizon in front of you, void of trees or buildings, and you will be able to see this conjunction. In an hour or so after nightfall, first Jupiter will appear in the western sky, which I saw last night, kind of above Westgate Shopping Center area. And then Saturn, and I did see Saturn, but they weren't very close together then. They'll both be shining dots distinguishable from the stars by the fact that they do not twinkle. They should be visible by the naked eye even with light pollution, because Jupiter is so very bright. Although the Great Conjunction will arrive on December 21st, you really should be watching Jupiter and Saturn draw closer every night until then. Otherwise, it's like tuning into a finale of a show without having seen all the prior episodes so you would know what's going on. 
By watching them get closer and closer, you can get a sense of how celestial mechanics work in the nighttime sky. Great conjunctions have at times drawn scientists to speculate over their possible links with major events on the Earth. For instance, Johannes Kepler investigated whether the Star of Bethlehem, which in the Nativity story in the Gospel of Matthew guided the wise men to Christ, and he calculated that a great conjunction indeed did occur at that same time period. Very often astronomers like to look through stories from ancient times and see if there might have been an astronomical phenomenon behind something that happened and people saw. And the next one will be in the year 2080, but it isn't expected to be nearly as vivid as this one. And the article concludes, all in all, the Great Conjunction is a reminder of how one can find solace in the constancy of heavenly cycles over the millennia, given the inconstancy of modern times. We get caught up in things that happen over the small given amount of time that each human life exists under. But astronomy encompasses a, a time frame so much more vast. In the face of everything that is going on now, you can find perspective in astronomical time frames. End of article. Now I'm not teaching that we should follow astronomy, check your horoscopes and all that garbage, not by a long shot. I'm not even suggesting that we all study the stars, although it is interesting, but I am teaching with my whole heart that we should follow the God who created them and has always used in his time and using his creation, the sky, the lights, the stars to communicate with his own people. So whether the Bethlehem star and the events tomorrow are similar, it is the glory of God being visible to all who will look. Whether it's just nature's alignment of the planets that appear as a giant star, or it is the actual glory of the Lord, I will leave that to him. But I believe that the timing is certainly divine. Many had been searching for Christ and they found him. He wasn't what they thought they were going to find. Maybe you've been searching for him too. Maybe you're on a journey to find peace, a lasting love or acceptance. I encourage you to look for his star, his glory, God will open your eyes just as he did the Magi to see his glory and all of these others who have searched for him and found him. I, for one, am watching and waiting to see his star, his glory appear in 2020. I mean that.
I believe that his signature is all over this event and that we will soon see evidence of his handiwork in operation. Can we stand? Father, I just thank you that you knew how to get the attention of the right people at the right time using a method that they were familiar with because they paid attention to the skies. And I pray today, Lord, that our hearts will be filled with your glory. As we look to see what's in the sky, as we look to see what's in the atmosphere, Lord, that we recognize that it's your hand. And we give you praise and glory in this Christmas time. We thank you, O oh Father, for sending your Son to us and that you used the stars, Lord, to notify the world that the Savior had been born. We thank you, Jesus. And with that, I want to say God bless you and Merry Christmas to you all. Our hope is in the child who came in humility, but now reigns in majesty. And I pray God bless the food, the fellowship, and the fun. In Jesus' name, amen.